Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show today. Uh, you know, we have over 600 uh, guests that have been interviewed on this show, over 600. And you can find all of their recorded content, archived, indexed, and neatly packaged at our audio library at ExitCoachRadio.com. You can listen to a wide variety of advisors, authors, and thought leaders on a very wide variety of topics. So I hope you'll go there and join us there. And uh, let's move on into our, our guest today. My, my first guest is Dr. Andy Simon, and she is a corporate anthropologist, and her business, SAMC, specializes in working with CEOs and companies that need or want to change. And for today's talk, the topic is all about corporate cultures and how they impact successful executive succession. It's, it's an important topic, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. I like your shows. It adds great value for the folks who we often are working with. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, we know that there are a lot of topics and a lot of interest and a lot of things that need to change for a lot of our listeners before they can successfully ride off into the sunset and do whatever it is they want to do with the rest of their lives. So let's talk about that. But first up, let's talk about Simon Associates Management Consultants and how long have you been doing this type of work and uh, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Thanks uh, for asking. I'm a corporate anthropologist, and I went into business over a decade ago after a career in large companies helping them change. And what I was fascinated by was how the brain hates to change, and very few people are actually trained on how to change. We really fight it, and our cultures keep us well engrossed in doing what we've always done, but the times are changing. And so as you think about uh, those baby boomers running these companies in ways for a long time, they've done it in the same way, it's very difficult to begin to see what we do to adapt. And your focus on their exit strategies was particularly relevant because one of the essential parts of anthropology and how we apply it is to look at corporate cultures. And when we work with our clients, very often we find that they a, don't know what their culture is and they, they don't know how it's going to affect them. And see, they don't even know how that's going to change over time as it begins to evolve to adapt to new times. So it's been uh, really a very uh, wonderful way to position ourselves. And to a degree, it's a blue ocean because very few people are corporate anthropologists or understand how to use them. Oh, I'm really looking forward to your viewpoints. One of the biggest problems that we find that business owners have is the fear of their change and especially their giving over the reins if it's an insider type of a thing like a family business or to key employees and giving over what they've built and how they've done it for so long to someone who might do it very differently today. If they're younger, they're using more technology and they, they have different habits and patterns and they have a problem understanding and trusting that. And so I'd, I'd love to hear your viewpoints on, on on that. Well, the problem is really a real problem. I mean, when you look at the statistics, so two things, one of which is it's enormous. The average age of family control in family businesses today is over 60. So you know that there's a lot changing. But only 30% of family-owned firms survive into the second generation, and only 12% will be viable in the third generation. So while about 90% of American businesses are family firms, um, the likelihood of having a successful transition is not necessarily 
thoroughly embedded into the whole process. And I love to share Bill Marriott's uh, challenging uh, problem as an illustration of this. And often people say, well, that's Marriott. Well, it really is us. A great article in Harvard Business Review in 2013, and I think it was just reprinted. But what Bill Marriott was faced with was a hard decision. His uh, eldest son, John, had put his heart and soul, as he wrote, into learning the business The only problem was that John was a mismatch for the culture of the business, and John was very much entrepreneurial, and as Marriott said, if I had followed my heart, I probably would have chosen him as my successor, but there was something that I saw in him, and he realized about how the fit was a misfit, that we didn't go in that direction. And someday they might come back and and bring a family member in to run the company. Uh, It's only been run by two family members and now a non-family member, but there was wisdom about the culture and the fit that illustrates the challenges that family firms are facing as they're beginning to plan an exit strategy for the founder or the team of founders who have brought these businesses to the success they're in today. So culture becomes extremely important, but often they don't know what the culture is or how it's going to affect it or why should I pay attention. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And and what a very difficult position to be in to choose between your bloodline, family members, and employees, basically. So on one hand, you're choosing between two different types of families. Now, of course, we always say in family business, the goal is happy Thanksgivings forever. (laughs) Not always achievable or attainable, but uh, in this case, uh, what a very, very difficult position to be in and what an interesting anthropological uh, study that must be from your eyes. Well, it it sets up great conversations because he's so candid about the challenge. Um, But what we realize is that unless somebody can assess their culture today, it becomes a difficult discussion about what it might have to evolve with. And you started us by talking about how the new generation, the millennials, have grown up digital. And they bring to work a whole different way of dealing with problems, uh, purchasing things, evaluating things, using the Internet. And so it's very interesting to watch the tension. But what we like to do is use a tool that was developed at the University of Michigan. Can I talk about it for a moment? Yeah, would you please? Well, Dr. Cameron and Dr. Quinn, Dr. Kim Cameron and Dr. Robert Quinn, created something of great value, which is a well-researched, highly validated methodology for assessing organizational cultures. Now, my anthropology colleagues sometimes shiver, but they really brought it down to four dominant kinds of organizational cultures. And the tool that they developed is called the OCAI, and all of your listeners can go online and take it for themselves. There's a free trial to OCAI-online.com. And it's located in the Netherlands now, but it's really global. And I've used it on cement companies, cement manufacturers in Mexico, large companies in Canada, small companies in the U.S., large manufacturers. It really is agnostic. But what they found was that, by and large, corporate organizations fall into four quadrants. And it's important to begin to think about where you fit. There are highly, very controlling bureaucratic ones. Think of the post office. I use that as an illustration. And then there are very collaborative ones clans. Um, And when I spoke about this at the Mm -hmm. Family Firm Institute in Brussels in 2012, almost all of the family firms there were very clannish. We'll talk about that some more. Then there are wonderful collaborators um, in those family clans, and they are so focused on collaboration that they forget about competition. 
And I've worked with commodity traders who are so focused on competition, they forgot about collaboration. So we can talk about all the dynamics here. And then there's the ones that we work with often are entrepreneurs who are very creative, and they're very into vision and empowerment and um, doing things in very innovative ways. But you can feel the tension from different cultures. And often, if you are a very collaborative, clannish family firm, and you're looking at succession at a time when you need more innovation and competition, you can begin to feel the conversation emerging about what kind of leadership do we need, what are our values, beliefs, and behaviors, and how do we actually make those happen in a culture that our folks who have joined us for one type of, a, of an environment can actually migrate to. And since we know that the brain hates to change and culture is very secure, people tend to fight the whole process, even when we know it has to happen. So with that sort of as, as a, an understanding of it, then the question becomes succession and exit strategies and planning, and how do we become aware of this? What would we prefer it to be? And how do we then move the right people into the right jobs with a plan? Make sense? Yeah. So what you're telling us is that of these four types, the, I think you said the bureaucratic, the clan, the collaborative, and the creative. Did I get that right? As there's far as the four? controlling, there's a controlling, collaborative, creative, and competitive. Okay. 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 Thank you. And so, understanding that culture could be very important to when you're considering your succession or exit planning. But tell us why. Why is it so important? Ah, well, what does culture do? Culture gives you very basic values, beliefs, and behaviors, a view of the world, and a lot of those wonderful human things that are the symbols that give it meaning. So just think about it. If you're a wonderfully, this Mexican company that manufactured cement, perfect example, they had gotten uh, Six Sigma and all sorts of very controlling ways to get the product out extremely effectively and efficiently. But they lacked any kind of collaboration or innovation. The silos were very dominant, and they were having a very hard time thinking through how to bring in the next generation of managers. And they actually had a hard time recruiting people, much less promoting them, because the silos were the opposite of what young people were looking for in terms of a team and very collaborative culture. So it became really interesting to watch how we were going to change and break past those silos while keeping the production efficient and still bring in some innovation and collaboration that would still get great results. Interesting conversation. I'm taking a lot of notes here. <laughs> Getting it, I, I start to see how it could be so important. And so now that someone understands why they need to think about cultures, how do you figure out what type of culture your company has? Well, if you take the OCAI, it comes back okay. in a graph, and you see it right oh. away. But okay. um, let me give you some illustrations that might help make this come alive for you in clients that I've had, and you can begin to hear how they were beginning to transition the cultures that they had and find the right leadership to take them there. Would that help? That would be very helpful. Thank you. So I'll give you three cases. They're really cool, one of which I interviewed for my Family Firm Institute talk. So I haven't used them. They haven't been a client, but they have a very good illustration of this. And this was a company in an auction business, a family firm, into its third generation. They had 40 family members working for the company. Now, it sounds terrific, but it wasn't exactly that at all. The eldest son had gone off to work in a large Fortune 100 company and really understood the difference between a competitive, results-oriented, process-driven, innovative company, and a family firm that was so focused on teamwork, collaboration, and protecting each other that few things got done or done, got done well. He was brought back, much to his older sister's chagrin, because he now became the head of the company. He had to begin to change the culture, and he realized that he had to change all parts of it, the advisory board that served as a, of a council mm -hmm. on one side, all the way down to human resources, 
challenges and how they enabled family members to begin to take on jobs, learn the jobs, and begin to do the kinds of things that they really wanted to do, as opposed to simply follow in their uncle's or their father's footsteps exactly the same way they always had. He said his biggest problem was, that's not the way it's done here. And it was a mantra that he had to turn into, well, that's what we're going to be doing, because it's not the way the world is going. eBay was competing with them, and they were beginning to see some major dilution of their value in a business that they had owned for a long time. So that's one case. The second one, um, this was a mm-hmm. client of ours that had a wonderful patented roofing product and a house wrap product line. Um, the roofing product was coming off uh, patent, um, and the family firm was beginning to realize that they had always done it this way. It was very much of a family. They thought of each other in a very uh, kind and collaborative fashion. The only problem was that with the housing crisis and the loss of patent, they didn't quite know how to run the business So they promoted an internal professional manager who was a great guy who hired us to help them transition into a new age where the old patented product in a growing housing market wasn't the the coup de grace here, how how do you grow a business? So instead he began to see that he had to shift them from a a very collaborative family firm to one that was much more innovative and results-oriented. I will tell you that working with their salespeople was a challenge. They looked at me as if we were talking two different languages, and they knew what they knew really well, but now they had to go find new people to buy a new product positioned in new ways. And as we worked on then opening up new market space in new parts of the country among new distributors without keeping the old ones as sacred as they always had, um, the professional manager was running a business that had family members in it as opposed to being a family that had a business. And I say that to you because that's exactly how he began to realize the transition. Mm-hmm. And the third was mm-hmm. in the showerhead business, and they had an excellent product, but they had very small market share. And there were large ones like Kohler that dominated the, the market. And they, too, saw that the fourth generation wasn't going to take it where they wanted to. So they brought in a professional manager who hired us to help change the culture and their focus in the market space. And the most interesting part was that we brought together 35 of their managers to begin to address this. And they came up with marvelous ideas for everything from how many SKUs they had to how they had to go to market in a different way. So the ideas were there, and they knew they had to reimagine the way they did business. And they just needed someone to help lead them and tell a different story, reinforce new behaviors, and recognize the work that they were doing because it was really good work but being done in very different ways. Does that make sense to you? Those are great stories and each a little different than the other and really help us to understand the broad differentiation between different types of cultures. What stands out in my mind is that, you know, it's one thing for a business to take an assessment and figure out what their current culture model is. Our our average listener, Andy, might be a a small uh, manufacturing business, maybe let's say $5 million in sales. Not a huge business, but it's made a nice living for the owners. And now they're getting to the point where they're th- they're thinking, okay, I want to turn it over to a key person or a group of key employees But how do I know what their culture orientation is going to be? And are they going to fit into our current culture and and maintain that? Or are they, as some of your examples, going to have a new vision and take it in a new way? And how do they assess that? Uh, Excellent question. And not easy because um, I can keep going down cases. But in each of the cases, 
the senior people have to begin to move away from the way we've always done it. It doesn't matter whether it was the auction business or the uh, roofing product business. And the roofing business itself was really interesting because they stepped away rather completely. One left the business altogether. Um, and in the showerhead business, they began to also take a different role as advisors as opposed to management. So to, to go back to your question, though, is how do they begin to plan so they sleep well at night, having peace of mind that they've made good decisions? And I always go back to planning. This is an exit strategy, which is where we began. But an exit strategy needs a plan, and you need to be able to see measurable results, monitor the process, and begin to get a good feel that you don't need to come back into this. This isn't Howard Schultz at Starbucks um, or Steve Jobs going back into Apple. You need to be able to migrate away and hand it off with a good um, sense that the person who's come in and the way they're going to be running the business will deliver the results, that you as a founder uh, – expect and probably as an investor or a member of the family advisory council also are expecting. One of the things that we often do is create these wonderful family advisory councils, and I'm sure some of your listeners have, have heard of them, um, where somebody who's beginning that segue away can begin to still influence and watch over their family firm without necessarily running it on a day-to-day -day basis. And then the managers have good accountability, a good direction, uh, but not necessarily the kind of controlling management that might interfere with it. Um, one last story that I do think is illustrative of what you're talking about. It was a company in the uh, Chicago area, and a son and a daughter had been given the reins to run a family firm of two entrepreneurs. It was about $8 million in sales, very innovative. And they took it to $30 million. But the father and the uncle wouldn't leave, and they had a hard time finding a professional manager to come in and help because without the transition to the next stage, they were uh, concerned that a professional manager wouldn't have the latitude needed to really run the place in an appropriate new direction. I, I will emphasize none of this is easy, and the planning part is extremely important because as you begin to lay it out, people see where you're going, and it makes it clear that you have a plan, not just a desire to exit. Yeah, very good point. And in, of course, any type of exit or transition planning, a lot of emphasis is given to the financial side of the business, the, you know, transferring the, the right assets, minimizing taxes, growing the value of the business. But what's needed is the planning box for this cultural evolution, this cultural change, the, the transfer of trust from one set of owners to a next generation, especially in a large number of our small businesses out there in the United States, uh, where the owner owner will be at risk as they sell the business and they transition out for a period of time and they have to feel good and, as you said, sleep well at night. So what are some tips or ideas or precautions that you could share with our listeners uh, about this type of planning? Um, I'll go back to Marriott because I think he says it so well. Um, my first tip is don't wait. This isn't a, you know, I woke up one morning and decided. Um, he already saw that Arnie Sorensen was growing into that role and had um, begun to think about it. The first thing I urge you to do is don't wait too long to begin to think about it and begin to figure out how to put people in roles where you can actually test their capabilities and see how they perform. And then step back from it and look at it. I'm going to say a little like an anthropologist. Try to take the emotion out. Remember, we do so much of what we do with emotion. And mm -hmm. as a leader of this firm, you need to step back and realize that what you're doing is essential for it. So 
The first one is start early, and the second is step back and look at it with a bit of dispassion that can make it a much more reasonable and rational decision um, than simply an emotional one. And then the third tip is don't ignore the plan. Um, You know, don't decide and then walk away. Get involved in the planning and then begin to move it along so you can have a good sense of how it's actually being implemented and how the implementation is taking you places that you'd like to go. Um, And then slowly begin a plan for yourself. Um, I have one client, and he retired too early, and his wisdom is don't do it too soon and don't wait too long. And it's very interesting to begin to see how uh, the right timing becomes so critically important to a successful exit strategy. Thank you for those tips. Those are fantastic. I understand you're working on a book. And uh, tell us a little bit about what that's going to be about. Do you have a working title? And when might it be available? You're so nice to ask. I have a working title. It's called How a Little Anthropology Can Help Your Business Grow. It's really Confessions of an Anthropologist. But it's about case studies of companies just like your listeners. They're all mid-market companies. And how um, by using some anthropological methods, they themselves could better see their business with fresh eyes and listen to customers asking for things that they kept ignoring and find new market space. We've got uh, wonderful eight case studies that are very good illustrations of how a little anthropology could help your business grow. It should be out in uh, January 2016, and I'd be delighted to send any of your listeners a, a copy of the introduction and, uh, and, and begin to get them to think about how they could do this. This is not about hiring an anthropologist. This is about seeing the world a little bit more like an anthropologist might. And I emphasize that because it really is beginning to see the world differently. And in each of the cases, that's just what they would say. We began to look at the world with new eyes, and that's where the opportunities lie. And that's so important for so many of our listeners who are hurtling towards this, you know, this date of change. And it's something to prepare for because a lot of our listeners have been doing what they do for many, many, many years. And a substantial change like this of getting out of their business and into some other type of a lifestyle and the impact internally of moving the culture change for your business are hugely important. So uh, I would hope to have you back uh, at some point and we can talk about some more of these fascinating stories as we we move towards your book, and uh, and I wish you the, all the best, Dr. Simon. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been fascinating. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the questions. They've been terrific, and it's a pleasure to share with you. Thanks very much. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after this. So please stay with us for just a moment. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 